Amen. Turn around and say hello to someone and then be seated if you would, please. Amen. I love singing those old hymns. Amen. Down south, they call them the red back hymnal songs. They're the kind of songs that you want to get up, get on your mule and go to town. You may not even have a reason for going to town, but you want to go to town when you start singing those great old hymns of the faith. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. I do feel sorry for people that go to these dead churches that don't ever say anything about the blood of Jesus Christ. It cleanses us from all sin. It gives us total and complete redemption. We're ransomed from our sins. We're reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. I mean, we got power. We have victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. How much better can it get? I mean, until we get to heaven, that's the best it gets. Amen. And so let's, let's celebrate our victory in Jesus Christ. I uh, feel like getting the shofar out and blowing it so that everybody will wake up and get up and look up and, and uh, take up uh, their cross and follow the Lord Jesus and live for Him. Had a good service today, didn't we? Praise the Lord. And thank you for your good offering. We have love offering envelopes available, the red offering envelopes uh, for Pastor Herman Broom and his wife, Helen, a love offering. I trust that you'll give the very best offering you can. I know it's the end of the month. We're going to give you a chance. Had several people come up and say they get paid and they want to give it next week. Well, we're going to let you give it just as long as a Brother Broom and his church have a need. We want to be there for them and help them out. Amen. I'll never forget one of my mentors back in the 20th century. Uh, they came into some financial difficulty in their Christian Bible college and, uh, that was sponsored by their church. And they had everybody out at Christmas break selling Bibles and Naves topical concordances and all kinds of things, trying to raise money, you know, to save the school. And they had to save, they had to raise so many millions of dollars. And right in the middle of it, they heard about Faithway Baptist College up in Michigan at that time that needed $150,000 or they'd close down. So my mentor got up in the pulpit and he said, we have not yet raised the several million dollars that we need to to save our college. But bless God, we can save their college. They took their money, sent it to Faithway, saved that college. And then God sent the millions that they needed and saved that college too. And both those colleges, now Faithway's up in Canada now, but the other college still going strong. God did that, you know. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I want to tell you that we're going to keep on helping out Brother Broom and his church, and I believe God's got a great future. He sent me a text today. He said, Brother Brad, said, uh, Helen and I, people love you and Gwendolyn and your church. And he said, I appreciate so much. He said, you, you have encouraged us. He said, if we can get, if we get these bills that they didn't accrue, somebody else accrued, if we can get these bills taken care of, he said, that'll take 90% of the stress off of us, and we'll be able to go on and serve God effectively. Well, that's what I want. That's what I want. Bear ye one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Amen. So let's, uh, let's be a watchman on the wall. <clears throat> let's be a gap filler, like Ezekiel said. Fill in the gap. Amen. And uh, let's see what God's going to do. Last Sunday night, I preached from Isaiah. I was about to say Isaiah's gospel. It is the gospel of the Old Testament, you know. And uh, Isaiah uh, saw the mountain peaks and he saw some things by inspiration and wrote them down about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said that when he came, he would be known as Wonderful and Counselor and uh, the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Uh, he, he said all those things, and I preached on Jesus is Wonderful. And somebody asked me why I preached on that. That's normally a, a Christmas passage. And my answer was because Jesus is wonderful, and not just at Christmas time. How many of you have found Him wonderful this week? Amen. How many of you got to talk to Him today and He was right there and you felt His presence? 
I felt His presence this morning. It's wonderful to have a Savior like that. So Jesus is wonderful. And tonight, I'd like us to go to a passage of Scripture that's very familiar, just as a starting point. It's in John's Gospel. John's Gospel is different from the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic, S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C. Do you understand what I'm saying? Synoptic, they, go, they fit together like hand and glove. They have many of the same things. And even though they were given separately to different individuals at different times, they're very, very similar. It wasn't like one copied the other. Uh, these modernists are always trying to figure out, you know, they, they started with a document called Q. Now, where did they get that from? They've never seen the document Q, but they say, and then they get, had this and that influence, and they left this and left that out, and that's why you got three Gospels that are not identical. And I thought to myself, how demented can people be and still call themselves experts on the Bible? Each of those Gospels is like four different people standing on the sidewalk at an intersection, four different corners, and an accident occurs in the intersection. All four of them saw it and recorded it, but they saw it from their own perspective. They saw it based on their own experience. Now, somebody might, might be a, a, an, an automobile expert or racing expert and say, uh, I, I feel like, the, like automobile number one was doing about 6,000 RPMs, you know. And I mean, you could get all kinds of perspectives, and it was all given by the Holy Spirit. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic. John is a little different. John was written from a different perspective, still by inspiration, but written with, uh, with specific illustrations from the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus Christ, His miracles, for the purpose of proving that He is very God in a body, that He is the Son of God, that you might believe. That's what it's written about. The other uh, three are written so as to give kind of a running chronology. Um, John has more emphasis on the, the last days of Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, less on the beginning of his ministry. But in John's gospel, it doesn't begin with his birth in Bethlehem, but it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That's the scripture. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Then we have the introduction of John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness. He didn't take the place of Jesus to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That, that is Jesus, was that true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Now that just floors me. That is such a deep thought. You have to stop. I mean, if it were, if it were the Old Testament and it were Hebrew instead of Greek that it was being written in, you'd have a Selah right there, wouldn't you, Tom? You sure would. Selah, stop and think about it. Think about it. He was in the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own. That is, the Jews. He came unto his own, his family. And his own received him not. He was rejected, wasn't he? But as many as received him, Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I want you to underline the phrase and think on it with me, power to become. Power to become. You will hear different types of motivational speakers. And uh, there's one speaker who is famous for saying, the power is within you. Now he's not talking about God at work in you. He's talking about some kind of polytheistic thing where you work up God-like abilities and characteristics and opportunities, and that's not true. I like what Jesus said. He, he, uh, he gave it to us uh, very, very clearly when he explained that you must be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see, can't even perceive or understand the kingdom of God. And you know, um, we know that uh, Paul was very clear. That he said, uh, in, in me that is my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. So you don't have the power in you to become anything good 
or anything of spiritual or eternal value until God does a work of grace. God looks down for whatever reason. He considers us valuable, important, the object of his love. And that's what all some people have going for them in this old world. That God looks down and, and believes they're worth saving. Now, they may not get saved. They may not come to God through Christ. Ultimately, an individual has to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't explain to you how that happens, but I know that he cannot be uh, ambivalent in the matter of salvation. He's got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Nobody gets to heaven if they don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They become born again in that moment. They are regenerated. They become a new creature in Christ. God does that work of grace in them. Now they've got something in them. Now they've got, they've got someone in them. And that's what it's all about. This is all because of Jesus Christ, because he was willing to leave his throne in glory, his perfection in glory, the bliss of heaven. He left all that to come down here to save the likes of you and me. Can you imagine such a thing? Why would God do that? Why? Like the song goes, why should he love me so? Why should he love me so? Can, can you imagine him coming? from that perfection to this sinful, rugged, ragged uh, place, spiritually speaking. I mean, what we've done to this world because of our sin makes this, this earth closer to hell than to heaven by far. I mean, that's what you see. That's why you don't want to listen to the news. <laughs> because you get, you get too much of that on you. You get the smell of it on you and pretty soon you can't get it out. This, uh, this old world is filled with no hope and no joy and no peace and nothing lasting whatsoever. Why would anybody want this world instead of Jesus? Take the world and give me Jesus, the song. The poem goes that way as well. Amen. Power to become. And so in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Jesus Christ. Now, was it last week or the week before, uh, Tom, you sent me a poem. Uh, you, were, you were doing a study with Wilmington, I believe. And uh, I'm just going to give, I'm not going to give the whole thing. I'm going to give the last, the last two stanzas. Are you all right with that? I want copyright permission. I got it. All right, you heard it here. All right. Trying to live by the law of man will cost. It's not possible. Leaving one wanting and living in vain. Jesus Christ paid our debt on the cross to save humankind from all the pain. So what do you got down here? You got pain, you got problems, you got all kinds of difficulties. Jesus came to save us from all of that. Then he goes on. Tom wrote, The grace of God has appeared to all. We must accept the gift freely given. By our God to the great and the small, we must believe that he indeed has risen. Thank you, Tom, for those great words. The grace of God. There it is. The grace of God. And Jesus Christ is the manifestation of everything that's good and perfect and lovely. And he's the one we need to think on. If there be any this and if there be any that as Paul says to the Philippians, think on these things. Well, that means think on Jesus. He is the embodiment of all of those characteristics that we find in the Bible. All those virtues. Uh, the only way we can actually see with our physical eyes the living out of, of the virtues, uh, the attributes of God in perfection was in the body, the life, the teachings, the miracles of Jesus Christ. He's wonderful. We saw that last week. But he's much more than wonderful. I have a lot of books, and every once in a while I'll buy a used book, and I'll find an old bookmarker. I'll find the name or the address label of somebody who owned that book maybe two times ago. I buy a lot of books in the used bookstore, and uh, there was a bulletin in one of those books, and this is from, 
I won't name the church, but it's a certain church up in Michigan. And that church belonged to what is now a totally apostate Baptist group, totally modernistic. But in 1971, they had a lot going on. I'm telling you, I got the name of the preacher here. I got the name of the place. I got all of that. And the, he, he had, listen, he had an invitation. He had the gospel in here. And then he's got, he's got, uh, he's got all these activities going on all week. He's got youth fellowship, collegiate. Uh, he's got the Board of Christian Education. They're, they're, they're those old convention churches, they had a board of this and a board of that, and you just get bored with it. But he had a different board. He had, had children's membership class, teen youth fellowship, baptism of believers. I mean, he had all that. Go 1971. So I looked him up. I Googled him. Don't exist anymore. They didn't even become something else. They just, buildings sitting there empty. Makes you want to get in your car and drive to Michigan and start a church in that building. But on the back of his bulletin, here's what the man said. So I'm going to tell you what. What you say may be repeated years after you're gone. This man's long dead. But he wrote this. In Christ we have a love that cannot be fathomed, a life that can never die, a righteousness that can never be tarnished, a peace that can never be understood, a rest that can never be disturbed, a joy that can never be diminished, a hope that can never be disappointed, a glory that can never be clouded, a light that can never be darkened, a happiness that can never be interrupted, a strength that can never be enfeebled, a purity that can never be defiled, a beauty that can never be marred, a wisdom that can never be baffled, resources that can never be exhausted. Isn't that amazing? I'm sorry about his church. But to the degree that he could in that situation, it seems like he was communicating the truth that is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is everything. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of everything that's good and perfect and pure. And if we ever hope to make any kind of impact for God on this planet before He takes us home, we're going to have to allow Jesus Christ moment by moment have control of our thoughts, of our attitudes, of our words, of our deeds. We have to turn it all over to Jesus. Like I preached last Sunday morning, we're going to have to step up and give Him the sword of our flesh. And say, you, take, you're, you're, you conquered me. You conquered me, Lord. Jesus conquered my soul. He conquered my life. He's got control. And people came forward today to pray and say, Jesus, you've got me from the crown of my head to the sole of my feet. The entire spectrum of our life for Christ, which I call the Christ life, can be checked off in looking at Jesus. He's the yardstick of our effectiveness. Does Jesus live in and through you? Is He living through you right now? Is He living out of your life? That's the question. Came unto His own, and His own received Him not, but as many as received Him. To them gave He power to become. Power to become. That's what He's given us. The power to become. Tonight I want to ask you, a series of questions and maybe define those questions a little bit further, but let's at least get them on the surface. Let's get them out on the table tonight, all right? Question number one, are you saved and do you know it for sure? Number two, are you secure in your relationship in Jesus Christ? Number three, are you satisfied with Jesus Christ? That is, you're not going someplace else to get your satisfaction. You're not moonlighting with some other thing in your life. You are satisfied with Jesus Christ. And number three, are you finding significance in passing along who and what you've experienced in Christ to some others that are coming along? We will do no good if we leave this world and don't leave a godly legacy. There's got to be kids and grandkids and kids we teach in Sunday school 
and their parents that we reach and family members and extended and neighbors and people up and down and bus routes all over the place. I want this thing to multiply. I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to be cute, but multiply like rabbits. I want, I want so many people to hear about Jesus and the Christ life and see it in us that they're going to desire what we're talking about tonight. Are you saved and do you know it for sure? The Bible says that I become a child of God, a son of God, by faith in Jesus Christ. It says so there in John chapter 1 and verse number 12. And over in Ephesians, we have a further dimension of that that most people, uh, they just take for granted. They think it is a, a kind of a synonym to what we just read. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, we have power to become the sons of God. Then in Ephesians and chapter 1 and verse number 5, it says, having predestinated us, under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. Now it's possible for people to absolutely miss the simplicity of this because what they do is they weave a very complex system uh, that becomes the, it's kind of the lattice through which they look at all other Scripture. Predestination was never intended to be such a confusing, daunting matter. I understand that God knows everything, plans everything, is in charge of everything. But He hasn't, he hasn't taken me into His confidence on this specific. That is, I don't know who's going to get saved or who professes to get saved that's really saved. I don't get included in that. At no time, you say, oh, but I've, I've got suspicions about so-and-so because they made a profession of faith in church and man, they're no more saved than, and, and they'll talk about because, because what? Well, because they drink or because they smoke or because they do this or they do that. Now, where in the Bible does it say a person's not saved if they do those things? I have yet to find that verse. I know that if they're saved, they're convicted about those things, but they may, not, they may not have gone with the Lord as far as they can go in terms of their Christian growth. And so I'm in no position to judge them. And whoever gave you that idea, because they were, maybe they were holiness Baptists, you know, there's, there are people that say, well, I'm, I'm holier than he is. I'm holier than she is. By saying those things, we're not. Believe me, we just disqualified ourselves. It's called Phariseeism. And, and the big sin, with a capital S, capital I, capital N, is that rotten attitude that Pharisees have towards others. So what I am saying is, this business of predestined and predestination was never intended to be the complexity that it is. All right, what it's supposed to mean is this, that it's God's perfect plan when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior that we don't just get saved and not grow in grace. It's God's plan that we go on and grow in grace, but that growth in grace means surrendering the flesh, surrendering ourselves, giving our sword up, and letting the Lord have His way. So I'm going to preach that till I drop, okay? Amen. But here... He's predestined us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. And, and what that means, you have to understand the, the whole Jewish business. As people grew up in Judaism, they would be physically born into a Jewish family. If you're physically born into a Jewish family, and specifically the interpretation that that Orthodox Jews use is if your mother was a Jewess, then you are a Jew by birth. You're a Jew by birth. Now that doesn't mean you're practicing it, but you're a Jew by birth. Now when you reach a certain age, you have a bar mitzvah or a bas mitzvah, 
and your bar mitzvah as a boy, your bas mitzvah as a girl, is your coming of age ceremony. And the coming of age ceremony for a Jewish boy or Jewish girl is a time in which there is public recognition that they're going to be enjoying and practicing adult privileges and uh, they've been given that right, but they can now they can now practice those. And they have been, I'm going to tell you so you understand the scriptural term, they have been legally adopted by their own biological parents. Their own biological parents will adopt them so that they have legal rights as adults. That's what that means. So they can practice their adult rights under... The, the laws of Judaism. Now, this is being applied to us. We got, we got born again into the family of God. That's because of what Jesus Christ did. But there's more than that. God wasn't through with us yet. God, our Heavenly Father, wanted us to experience a fullness of our salvation and to exercise responsibilities. And may we see that, that we have been saved and born again into the family of God, but we've also been adopted and given the privilege of exercising those mature rights and responsibilities in the family of God. That's what God wants for us. I am, as a result, I am saved. And I know that I'm saved. I have been given the earnest of the Spirit, the down payment of the Holy Spirit. That's the down payment on heaven. Have you got a home in heaven? You got a name on your home in heaven? You say, well, I don't know. Well, let me tell you, the Bible says we have. But the fact that you have who is that inside of me? Who is that inside of you? That's the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. And He's working inside of you. And when the preacher's preaching, somebody said, preach the paint off the wall this morning. And when the preacher's preaching and you're going, amen, that's right, amen. Who's doing that, really? That's God the Holy Spirit inside of us. And the fact that He's working inside of us and confirming the truth of the preaching of the Word of God, that's our down payment on heaven. Nobody can take it from us. I'm God's child. I've been adopted. I've been given legal standing before God. Praise the Lord. I'm saved, and I know it. I know that I know that I know that I know that I've been born again. Listen to me. You that are viewing online, you say, well, I'm just not as sure as you are, preacher. Well, there is nothing better about me than there is of you. Let me say the reason why you may be saying that is because perhaps there are some unconfessed things in your life you need to get right with God. Or maybe you're not exercising your faith in an active way. Maybe you're not in church. You're not serving the Lord like you ought to. I don't know. I'm not your judge. But I'm suggesting why some people sometimes feel like they are not as sure of their salvation. i got to say this. The devil has tried to make me unsure a million times. That's probably not an exaggeration. But many, 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 many innumerable times. The devil has tried to make me unsure. But I have never played his game. From the time I got saved on June the 17th, 1955, until this date, July 30th, 2023, I have never, I have never bit at the bait that Satan has laid out there for me. I have never said, well, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I really didn't get saved. Now, there was a time right after I had received Jesus Christ, as I was five and then I, I would turn six, and it was coming up on the 4th of July. My brother had, had somehow procured some illegal fireworks in California. You can't blow off fireworks in California. But he had a paper route, and I saw him put those illegal fireworks in his paper bag where he would you know, go out in his paper route. 
being a six-year-old boy, inquisitive and so forth. Now, I'm not making, I'm not making you sound like I was innocent in this. All right? But I went and I took those fireworks and I grabbed his matches and I went across the orchard and I was having a great time popping those things off. Bang! 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 Until I looked down the lane and there was my dad and my brother coming up the lane. And neither of them was very happy with me. And my dad came up to me, took the remnants of that stuff. Boys don't ever do this. Don't ever do this. Don't ever do that kind of thing. And he said, go on home. He didn't even let me ride in the car. He sent me back across the orchard so I could think about that thing. Walked across that long orchard across the street. Got home. And I'm there in the front yard. He said, go to the garage. And I knew we, we didn't have a woodshed. We had a garage. And I know I got more than one spanking in my life, but this is the, the big one that I remember the best. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he took off his belt. And he said to me, son, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I don't know how it possibly could have hurt him more than hurt me, but he meant as a dad. And he laid it on me. And I never, ever, ever wanted to see or smell or have anything to do with fireworks again. I still kind of go through it whenever we have Fourth of July fireworks. But anyway, I don't know if my brother got it at all, but he had, he's the one with the illegal fireworks, so... I'll have to ask him next time I see him down in Georgia. But, uh, but I got it. And here's what happened. I had been saved about two weeks before that. I had just stolen fireworks. You say, oh, you didn't get saved. Yeah, I did. Even in that, devil absolutely did not get me to bite the bait. And my mother, God bless her. I love my mother. I loved, loved her till the day she died. I love her now, now that she's in heaven. I love my mom. But my mom said to me, when I came in the house, she said, did you learn your lesson? I said, oh, yes, I did, Mom. And she said, we thought you got saved. We thought you really got saved. I said, Mom, I did get saved. I did ask Jesus in my heart. Even my own reckless abandon, my own rebellious sin, my own wrongdoing, the devil could not use that to get me to bite the bait and think I wasn't saved at no time. Because even as a six-year-old kid, I knew that my salvation had nothing to do with or without fireworks. It had to do with what God said in His Word and my acceptance of the truth. Asking Jesus in my heart, my meaning business. I don't recall anybody using words like repentance, imputation, uh, reconciliation when I was led to Christ. They said, call on Jesus, get your sin problem taken care of. You, you be on your way to heaven, he'll take away your sins. Do you admit that you're a dirty, rotten, low-down sinner? Something like that. And I admitted it, and that was it. Now, you, did you repent? Yes, I did. I didn't even know the word, but I did repent. I had a change of mind and heart and direction God came down and did a work of grace in my heart and life. And even my stealing fireworks that were illegal, I'll just point that out. My brother was wrong. But uh, even stealing those fireworks, the devil couldn't get me to doubt my salvation. Amen. In 1 John chapter 5, verse number 11. And this is the record. Put your finger on the Bible. This is the record that God hath what? Given to us eternal life. And this life is where? In His Son. It doesn't say, and this life is in your perfect living after you get saved. This life is in your getting baptized. I did get baptized. I waited about two more years before I got baptized. My, my mom tapped me on the shoulder and said, don't you think it's about time we went forward and got baptized? And at eight years of age, my dad very joyfully, uh, and I entered into the waters of baptism, and my dad baptized me. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, I bury you know, in, in waters and raised in the likeness of His resurrection. I remember, never forget that, as long as I live. Did that, did that baptism save me? No, but I tell you what, it, it was a testimony to other people outwardly what had happened inside. Do you know, I know that I know that I know that I know that I've been born again. Because I, he that hath the Son hath life. Amen. He that hath 
Not the Son of God hath not life. I had the Son. He came in. He promised He'd never leave me nor forsake me. He'd never let me down. He'd never abandon me as a six-year-old kid and then as an eight-year-old who got baptized having been saved at just shy of six years of age. I never doubted that I was still saved and He took me into the waters of baptism. These things have I written unto you. And I put my faith in the old King James Bible. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Don't give me any of those, those other Bibles. Give me the King James Bible. A few years after I was baptized, a few years after I professed Christ publicly, go on in time. I wasn't perfect. I had done some some sinful things, I confess them as a when If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I, I, got, I got clean, I got clean, I got clean, I got clean, I got clean. And my dad took his stand for the King James Bible there at the First Baptist Church of Los Altos, California. A, a, a neighboring preacher coveted that pulpit, got his twin brother who was also in the pastorate to stir up the deacons of my father's church. They came to visit my dad and they accused him of stuff of which he was not guilty. And the reason they got it stirred up was my dad had said the old King James Bible is the word of God. Now, nobody had to teach him that. His mama taught him that. He got that from his preacher father. He didn't have to go to some school or educational institution to believe that the Bible was the Word of God. And he believed that and he preached that. And he said the Revised Standard Version is out of the pit of hell. And they turned it around. They attacked my father. My father said, my father was lying on a sickbed when those wicked, wicked deacons came to visit him in our house in the parsonage. And they came and they were talking to him badly and without respect. My dad was lying on a sickbed with bleeding ulcers. He said, you don't have to worry about it, guys. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. When you haven't got your people standing with you, when you haven't got your key individuals standing with you on the Word of God, it may be that God's going to come and He's going to lift the candle out of the candlestick. That church isn't there anymore. God came down one night and wrote Ichabod over the door of that place. It was by the King James Bible that I was led to Jesus Christ. Now you can get saved. Other, other books that are called Bibles that are not the Bible in English may have enough of the plan of salvation that you can get saved. But I sure wouldn't try to live by it. That's what the devil wants you to do. I'm going to stand for the King James Bible. I would not be a part of a church or a fellowship or an organization that did not stand for the King James Bible. I would not, I would not be a part of a church or an alliance or an organization that didn't believe in old-fashioned, face-to-face soul winning, believing in standing up for the Word of God and preaching, saved by the blood of the crucified one. I'm saved, and I know it for sure, and I know it, because of this book. And I know it because I have the down payment of the Holy Spirit down inside of me. I've got the down payment on heaven. Praise the Lord. You can check that off. Amen. I'm saved. I'm secure. We have songs like, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Favorite songs of the old time saints. Oh, what a foretaste, a foretaste of glory divine. We're going to go to heaven. We're going to have the full meal. But in the meantime, we got the sampler. And the sampler is assurance. I know that I know that I know that I've been born again. It says over in Romans chapter 8. Let's turn there. Romans chapter 8. And I know we're going a lot of places tonight, but... Every one of these verses is inspired and preserved. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, 
who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Look at verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers <clears throat> nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, sometimes... Our Sunday night crowd and those that we're broadcasting to just need to have a little bit extra, a little bit extra, and so that's what I'm going to do. I love it when my sweet wife makes one of those wonderful dishes, and she'll say to me, I've just got a little bit left here. You want? I don't turn it down, do I? I take it. Amen. Amen. And when she's making one of those wonderful desserts, now, the desserts that she makes for me are not the kind that are going to put on any unwanted calories because she, she cooks for me for, for me to keep my blood sugar low, and I'm very thankful for that. But she'll say, you want to lick the beaters on this? You know, the, the beaters and the... Anybody ever do that? Anybody do that? Yeah, amen. I never turn her down. I never say, oh, I don't think so, not this time. A little bit extra. Nobody here tonight and nobody listening and, and viewing this message tonight is going to say, I'm going to turn down that extra preaching on assurance of salvation, on being secure. I'm free. I'm free from, from uh, the guilt. I'm free from the condemning charges. As far as the east is from the west, my sins and that debt has been separated from me and paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. And nothing can separate me. Nothing can come between me and the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I am absolutely sealed by the Holy Ghost. I haven't been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I have everything I need when I'm facing my trials and I'm down in my valleys. Now I want you to listen to me right now. The reason I can go on serving, whether I'm on the mountaintop of that euphoric experience because of the goodness and the grace of God, or whether I'm down in the depths of the deepest, lowest, darkest valley I've ever gone through, I can go on serving God even in the valley. And the reason I can do that, listen to me, is because He promised to go with me. He said He'd never leave me nor forsake me. When I go through the valley of the shadow of death, He is with me. His, his rod and His staff is there to protect me and to keep me and to guide me. And He shows me the pastures that I need. When I go through the valley, praise the Lord, it may be deep. But I like what the psalmist says. When you go through the valley, make a well. Make a well in the valley for somebody because someone else is coming through. And they're going to need some of that cool water when they're going through that depths of that valley. I'm not saying that I've gone through as deep a valley as you or you out there. But I've gone through some deep valleys. But Jesus has never left me alone. Even though it's dark and difficult and even though it hurts and it's painful and it's, it's disappointing and it's less than what I wanted in my own desires, I tell you what, my own desires aren't greater than Jesus. My own wishes and whims aren't greater than my Lord and Savior. My own, my own aspirations for whatever in life I did not achieve are not greater than Jesus Christ Himself. And I'm telling you right now, when you go through the valley, you can still go on serving. You can sing sweetly because He's there in the valley with you. I'm secure in Christ. Aren't you glad you stuck around so you could lick the beaters? Amen. I want to ask you, are you saved? Do you know for sure? Are you secure? Do you know that you know that you know that the evil one can't touch you. He can make you feel low down and less than important. But that's not the truth because Satan is the father of all liars. He's behind all of that deception. That's the only way he can operate. And someday I'm going to stand in the front row when Satan is forced to kneel to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And then he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity. 
and I'm going to lead the cheer. Woo! Glory to God. I'm glad. Amen. Amen. And he's going to burn forever and ever and ever. And you say, how can you be that way? I've seen enough of the damage that he's done. I've seen enough lives destroyed. I've seen so many pastors who've been affected, whose hearts have been broken, whose lives have been crushed, whose families are no longer serving God, whose churches have put them out, whose people have treated them like there's something that you wipe off your shoe. And I think about that, and I hate the devil more than I've ever hated him before. And you can't love God like you ought to love him unless you hate the devil like you ought to hate him. I'm secure in Jesus Christ, and the devil can't make me doubt. He absolutely has no claim on me. When I first came, I preached a message called God's Little Acre. And I twisted it and I turned it around and I said, what about Satan's Little Acre? God's Little Acre was a story about somebody who gave their acre to God and the results and so forth, and that's good. But Satan's Little Acre is based on this. In the middle of a large tract of land, one acre given over to Satan. Make that your life, one little part inside you given over to the devil. What that means legally is Satan can cross any part of your life to get to that acre. That's why Satan owns no part of me. The world, the flesh, and the devil have no claim on me. I'm not going to allow that. I'm secure in Jesus Christ. He's all I need. He is all I need. Jesus is all I need, which brings me to my next point, and that is this. Can you say you're saved, you're secure? Can you say that you're satisfied with Jesus Christ? I don't have time to go into this. But I'm glad for the abundant life. I'm glad that the Lord Jesus Himself went so far as to explain this and puts it in connection with the relationship of the shepherd to his sheep. It's found in John chapter 10 and verse number 10. There it says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what the devil wants to do. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The abundant life is the overflowing life because we're satisfied. I have enough of everything. I don't need a single thing. Satan doesn't own any part of me. I don't want him to have any part of my life. And so therefore, whatever he might offer, it's not an invitation. It, it's, of no, it's of no interest to me whatsoever. What I've got in Jesus Christ is priceless beyond compare. And because He's in my life and He's living in me, the abundant life is overflowing. And that's why uh, seven days a week, uh, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, we can have and experience the abundant life. The challenges that come our way are not as great as the one who helps us to meet face those challenges and deal with them. Jesus Christ is greater, therefore I can have the abundant life. You've heard the testimony that we have related of Mark Shore, who was a pastor, young man who had a young family. He had a wife and three children, and he was pulling around a car. A truck came through the intersection, hit, totaled the car, killed wife, three kids instantly. Mark Shore had a broken back. When we heard about it, I went across, we were up visiting in that area, I went across to the hospital where it was I walked in and he was lying, he was all alone in ICU. He was in traction. And he looked up at me and he said, Brad. And I said, Mark. And I took him by the forearm and I held his hand. And the first words out of his mouth were, God is good. God. It's good. You say, how could a person say that? He wasn't saying he was glad that his wife and his three babies were dead. He'd see him again. He'd see him in heaven. God helped him to heal up. He went on, served, still alive, but he served until recently in the pastorate. God gave him a wife, a single gal, gave him kids. They went on. They're serving God. I think some of them are missionaries or in youth ministry or something, pastoring. Praise the Lord. God can give you back your joy. God can give you back whatever it is that you feel that you've lost. 
and give you abundant life that overflows. I used to listen to the program on the radio known as Unshackled. How many of you ever heard that? Yeah. Out of WMBI, Moody Bible Institute Radio in Chicago, Illinois, on LaSalle Street. And the, the Pacific Garden Mission, Pacific Garden Mission, where many, many souls, precious souls have been reclaimed. And the man who would, who would give the, uh, the opening to that program with testimonies of lives that have been reclaimed say that if you let Jesus Christ save your soul, He'll cleanse you, He'll make you brand new, and He'll give you a life that's satisfying, that's overflowing, that the world can never compare with. I, every time I heard that, I said, Amen, Amen. That's not just something... That man is saying, that's something we experience. That's something we can have. And it's in and through Jesus Christ. It's not about me and what I do. It's about Jesus Christ in and through us. Are you saved? Are you secure? Are you satisfied? Then number four, are you significant in your service for Christ? Are you significant so that when you die, somebody steps up and says, I'll take your place. I'll serve. It should be our goal to work ourselves out and train ourselves out of a position and mentor people that will come behind us. So someday, when, when we've come to the sunset of life, we don't have to worry about the work of God going on. There are churches right now that are going out of existence because people did not mentor anybody to come behind them. They're dying. They're dying. There's no one to step up. I never knew my Uncle Dwight. My Uncle Dwight was the oldest brother of eight children in the family. My dad was the youngest of eight. There was quite a bit of difference in age. My dad was in his teenage years when his brother Dwight preached himself to death, died of exhaustion at 31 years of age. He was an old-time tent revivalist in the days of Billy Sunday. And he went from place to place throughout the Midwest and he'd put up his tent or he'd rent a, a theater or he'd, he'd get a, a big barn or an expo uh, and, and there he, they would give out handbills and flyers and invite the farmers and people would come. And thousands of people would come to hear my uncle, Uncle Dwight Winnegar, and he preached himself to death, died of exhaustion at 31 years of age. At his funeral, it was held in Worthington, Minnesota, down south near the Iowa border, where my grandfather was pastor and my dad was in the youth group. The invitation was given. People came forward at that invitation. You don't see that much at funerals, do you? But people came forward. My dad stepped up to the casket, put his hand on the casket, said, Dwight, I'll take your place. I'll take your place. It's a wonderful thing when we go to glory that we can leave somebody behind. A legacy. We are to be the salt and the light of the earth as believers. But if the salt have lost its savor, it's good for nothing but to be trodden underfoot, cast into a dunghill. Good for nothing. We don't want to lose our saltiness. We don't want to lose our light. We want to continue to be fruit-bearing, Believers, I was speaking on fruit bearing over at the, the fellowship house, talking about how God prunes us so we'll bear more fruit, much fruit, and our fruit remains and so forth. And I got to continue. I couldn't finish the whole passage, Tom, so I had to, I had to say, well, next time we'll finish this, part two. And uh, those, those ladies there at that Bible study were listening to what I had to say about fruitfulness. I was saying, even when you're in a care facility, a, a, a whole home like this, fellowship house, God wants us to bear fruit. God wants us to share the, and leave a godly legacy. He's told us, as I preached on Wednesday night, that we are ministers of reconciliation. We're the ones who have been given a commission by the King of Kings, our Commander-in-Chief, Jesus Christ. And He says, I want you to fight the good fight till I call you home. It's like that, that Imperial Japanese officer who, 
who had to go down into the jungles of Borneo and ask that Japanese sergeant to come out of the jungles 30 plus years after the war was over. And people say, that's just such a shame. It proves a point. He took his commission seriously. What you and I have in Jesus Christ is not for sale. What you and I have in Jesus Christ is not up for negotiations. What you and I have in Jesus Christ isn't even open for discussion. Not, I won't even discuss it with somebody. Well, we shouldn't be so this. We shouldn't be so that. I'm going to be so whatever the Bible says until God calls me home. And I hope to raise a generation or two or three of other folks who come up and they say, just like the old preacher said, I'm going to be so committed to that. I'm going to be so determined about that. It's important who we are, who we believe in, who we follow, who we preach, who we promote, what we stand for, what we practice, how we, how we promote it, how we share it with others. It's so important. It's not for negotiation. And I'm thankful tonight. I can say I'm saved and I'm secure and I'm satisfied and I want to leave a significant legacy. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And who here tonight would say, Preacher, something in that message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. Amen. Would you like to come and pray at the invitation? I'd like to invite you to come. We can do that in just a moment. We're going to be singing. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, online right now, the invitation is being given. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll pray right now from your heart to God, you can be saved the Bible way. Just pray something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take me to heaven when I die. And if you prayed that, come and let us know. Amen. There's the wonder of sunset at evening. I see, but the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that God loves me.
God loves me. 